One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here Welcome we go. Oh, he still has some listening. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Sweeping America, the Arturo Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, April 22nd. 2021 people i hope everybody is having a great day i hope everybody has had a great week we got ourselves a loaded air Torres podcast for you today that's right just when we thought the college hoops off season was slowing down oh no 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 it is just beginning we will open chet holmgren number one high school basketball player in america he has committed to gonzaga what does it mean for gonzaga why it's great for college basketball so much to discuss speaking of so much to discuss How about my boy Mike Woodson? I crushed this hire, but I might be wrong. He is a recruiting machine. Indiana picks up two big commitments, and I do my mea culpa because so far, Mike Woodson has done just about everything right. I know he hasn't coached a game yet, but I got to give Mike Woodson credit. Last topic uh, that we'll get to, we got a great guest coming up too. Uh, The last topic. How about this? I don't talk assistant coaching hires very often on this show, but... Orlando Antigua, arguably the top recruiter in college basketball, reportedly headed to Kentucky. Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio is reporting that. We're going to get into that after Orlando Antigua. How about this? Just a little guest named Luca Garza. No big deal. National Player of the Year. That's what we do. That is what we do on this show. We, we talk great stuff, and then we bring on great guests. Luca Garza comes on. He talks about his career at Iowa, getting ready for the NBA draft. Really, really, really fun interview with Luca Garza. So much to get into. Let's start right off the top. Let's get into the topic of the day in college basketball. And frankly, if we're being perfectly honest, probably the topic of the next few weeks as we've hit a little bit of a dry spell, a little bit of a slow stretch of the college basketball calendar. But the number one high school player in America, Chet Holmgren, on Monday made his college choice. And on Monday, he decided, drum roll please, that was terrible, but point remaining. Chet Holmgren commits. He is headed to Gonzaga to play what is almost certainly his only year of college basketball in 2021-2022. But Chet Holmgren, seven-foot center, originally from Minnesota, has decided to go play at Gonzaga. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about who Chet Holmgren is. Let's talk about what it means for Gonzaga, both on and off the court. And also, I do want to hit on a little bit of what it means for college basketball in general, because I think it is a big win for the sport of college basketball. But if you uh, you know, are taking time out of your day to listen to something like this, you probably don't need me to tell you much about Chet Holmgren. But as I mentioned, seven-foot center. And look, the term unicorn gets thrown around way too much in basketball these days, right? Like I remember R.J. Hampton used to call himself a unicorn. It's like, no, R.J. Hampton, you're a 6'4 combo guard. I've seen a million of you throughout my, throughout my time covering college hoops and high school hoops and NBA and whatever. Doesn't mean you're not a good player. Doesn't mean you're not going to be a great pro, but you're not a unicorn. We've seen you. We've seen a hundred of you. We've seen a hundred of you in the last five years, but Chet Holmgren probably is a true unicorn, seven-foot center. He has three-point range. He has great ball handling for a guy that his a guy of his size. Again, is able to step out, is able to put it on the floor, and he also is, to his credit, a very good defensive player as well. I had a prominent person in grassroots basketball tell me that he is maybe the best high school shot blocker that he has ever seen. Not surprising. Seven feet tall with a well over seven foot wingspan, but he has great instincts on defense. And to his credit, even though he's a little bit skinny, a little bit lanky, he is tough. He plays hard. He isn't afraid to throw elbows. Does that not mean that he needs to put on a little bit of weight before he gets to Gonzaga and before he takes the court in college basketball next year? Of course. He, like any high school prospect has work to do. But again, he is ranked the consensus number one high school player in America. I would maybe argue Paulo Banchero, who is going to Duke, is a little bit better. But the bottom line remains one, two, whatever. He is going to have an instant impact on college basketball next year. And I'm really, frankly, excited to watch him play. In terms of what he is going to do for Gonzaga, well, I think there's two elements to it. I think the first one is on the court and the second one is off of the court. On the court, look, I think he puts Gonzaga right back into position to be a national championship contender next season. 
I know they didn't win it this year. Not saying they're going to be undefeated and not saying that they won't be a flawed team or an imperfect team like every team is in college basketball right now. And I don't want to sit there and, and oversell it because I know as soon as I give credit to Gonzaga, some of you are going to oh, they're always overrated. Oh, they always stink. It's like, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. They went. They were 31-0 going into the national championship game undefeated. They beat all those great teams that I've already talked about, USC, Iowa, Creighton. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Virginia, uh, West Virginia, whatever. If you don't believe Gonzaga is a really good program at this point, I can't really help you, but I do think that Chet Holmgren, again, keeps them in that short conversation of national championship contenders. For people who do not know what their roster makeup looks like, Drew Timmy, the final, probably their best player in the in the that dramatic, crazy game against UCLA. I would assume that he is going to be back. He was really good this year, but still has a lot to work on. And I think in many ways he'll be helped by Chet Holmgren down low. Both guys are versatile pieces in the front court. In addition, Andrew Nemhard, former you know top 30, top 40 prospect who began his career at Florida. I would expect he would be back. Is it inconceivable that he tests the draft process again? Yes, I cannot imagine that he has much interest in, from the NBA at this particular point. I expect him to be back. You add Chet Holmgren. You, had, you add Hunter Salas, another top 10 prospect in America coming out of high school. And a couple of the pieces on the bench that didn't play as much this year. Julian Strother, a former top 50 recruit. I believe he's originally from Las Vegas. He's a wing. Dominic Harris, top 75 recruit. Probably that sixth man, Joel Ayayi, third guard role that, he, that, that Ayayi played this year for Gonzaga. And all of a sudden, you look at that roster. That's a pretty good roster. Drew Timmy, going to be an All-American. He was an All-American this year. Andrew Nemhard going to be one of the best point guards in college basketball. Chet Holmgren going to be a difference maker down low. Uh, you know, Strother, Harris, whoever, that's a really good team. Is it number one? I don't know. I would probably put UCLA ahead of them if Johnny Juzang comes back. I'd probably put Villanova maybe ahead of them with the news that Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are going to take an extra year of eligibility at Villanova. Is it possible somebody else makes a big move in the transfer portal? Absolutely. So I'm not going to sit here on whatever it is, April 19th, and definitively say, okay, yeah, Gonzaga, they're back. They're, they're going undefeated into the championship game, and they're going to win it this time. Like I'm not going to do that, but they're really, really, really good. So I think it's great for Gonzaga. It's great for college basketball. And in terms of what it does for Gonzaga, to me it now moves beyond off the beyond on the court and it moves to off the court. What do I mean by that? When I say it moves off the court, what I mean is this now firmly, indisputably establishes Gonzaga as one of the best programs in college basketball, if it is not the best, if it has not been already. Not going to compare the last seven, eight years to Kentucky or to Virginia or Villanova. You guys can argue amongst, amongst yourselves if you want. But Gonzaga now, I mean, they are a complete program in every way. They do a great job identifying talent. They do a great job developing talent. They do a great job producing NBA pros. Remember, they had two top 20 picks in the 2019 NBA draft with Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark. They're probably going to have three first-rounders this year with Joel Ayayi, Jalen Suggs, who might go number one overall, and Corey Kispert. Like, 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 they're doing everything. On top of the fact that they're winning at the highest level in college basketball, they've now made six straight Sweet 16s, four four Elite Eights in the last six NCAA tournaments, and of course, two Final Fours and two National Championship games. I get that they still have not won that title, and I get that in sports, we define teams by the ultimate success, the ultimate prize, which is championships. Not saying that there isn't one more level to go, but they've done just about everything else, and now they're recruiting at an elite level. I mean, that was the one knock on Gonzaga. Well, how good could they possibly be? I mean, look at some of these guys that they bring in, and they play in this conference, that conference. Well, Chet Holmgren could have played at any school in America, literally anyone, and he chose Gonzaga. This, of course, after Jalen Suggs chose Gonzaga last year. For people who do not know, Holmgren and Suggs were high school teammates. Hunter Salas, as I mentioned, was one of the best high school point guards in America this year, a pretty consensus kind of top 10 or so recruit nationally. And so now Gonzaga's getting the guys that everybody else wants. Kansas wanted Hunter Salas, Kentucky wanted Hunter Salas, North Carolina wanted Chet Holmgren, and so on top of the fact that they're not only winning big, they're now recruiting big, developing the way that they have for the past 8, 10, 12 years, putting guys in the pros, this to me, they have now, if there was any debate, have established themselves as an elite program across the board, they basically do everything well. Finally, what I would say about Chet Holmgren, 
I do think this is actually a mega win, not just for Gonzaga, but for college basketball. Because look, it was only a year ago, probably right around this time, I think it was the middle to the end of April, where we first learned of this G League select team. And nobody knew much about it, but the headlines were pretty you know, transparent, right? The best high school players in America can now earn $500,000 playing professionally here in the United States. And I'll be honest, as a fan of college basketball, look, I, you guys know where I stand on all this stuff. I think college basketball is a great platform for these players. I understand if your family needs the money, if your family wants the money, if you just don't want to go to school, I'm never going to criticize someone for deciding to take a pro option over the college option, but I also think it's good for these 18-year-old kids for at least one year coming out of high school to be amongst their peers before they go pro. I'm sorry, that opinion is never going to change even if they remove the one-and-done rule and all these guys go straight to the pros. I think it's a good thing for them to be on campus. I think it's a good thing for them to be with their peers. I think it's a good thing for them to be coached by Coach K and Mark Few and John Calipari and Jay Wright, whoever they want to play for. But I'm also a realist, and when this G League thing popped up about a year ago, I sat there and said, man, I don't know how many of these elite high school players are even going to play college basketball anymore. Obviously, Jalen Green goes last year. Jonathan Kaminga decides late in the process to reclassify and go play in the G League. But now we have a year's worth of stuff from the G League, a year's sample size, and everyone realizes the $500,000 is great, but you're missing out on a lot, most notably exposure. And it's really interesting, right? That was the big thing. Well, the G League's going to help you build your brand, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. And I do understand that, of course, it was a pandemic. All of the plans that were put in place were not fully executed. But I think a lot of high school players now and their families and their camps and their peers, whatever, I think they're realizing what I said. For one year, college basketball is a great platform for an elite high school player. Look, I talked about it during the Final Four. Jalen Suggs, that iconic shot against UCLA. And to be clear, for everybody, all the, all the, the haters out there, the college basketball haters, all these kids, just go get your money. I understand that Jalen Suggs was a really good basketball player coming out of high school. I understand that he did not need college basketball and would have been a top 10 pick if he had never played a second in college basketball. I am readily acknowledging that right now. But at the same time, what you can't deny, unless you just are not interested in facts, the truth, or anything of that nature, is that college basketball, by giving up the 500K, he had the opportunity to go to the G League, he says no. By going to college basketball, he has made millions of dollars. First of all, he did move up draft boards. People want to argue, argue with me about this, but he did move up draft boards. He, going into the season, he was probably projected to be somewhere in the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th pick, somewhere in there. Certainly not a bad player, but he wasn't projected to go top three. Now he is a consensus top three player who could go number one overall. That in and of itself is a difference of millions of dollars, and that is a direct reflection of playing 32 games at Gonzaga, probably 28 of them on national TV. It matters. Playing against elite competition, playing against Kansas, playing against Iowa, playing against UCLA and Baylor in the national championship game, those things matter. They saw Jalen Suggs at the highest level playing really good competition and not only succeeding but thriving. But beyond that, it's what I say all the time. Jalen Suggs is now a household name because of that one shot against UCLA. So yes, he could have been a top 10 pick had he never played at college basketball. But let's also call a spade a spade here. That one shot against UCLA has made him millions of dollars. First of all, I'll be honest. I don't really understand this NFT stuff. Uh, Luca Garza and I are going to talk about it here in about 15 minutes. The NFT, though, is essentially a virtual trading card. And now, Luca Garza was the first one to do this, but all of these guys are selling their NFT. Again, it's basically a virtual trading card. I don't fully understand it, but it's all the rage right now. Jalen Suggs is selling his NFT, and my understanding is my buddy Austin Montgomery, who's in all this weird, quirky, new age, uh, Gen Z stuff, tells me that that NFT will sell for easily $250,000. So a quarter of a million dollars from that one shot, he now sells the virtual image of that autographed with a pair of, of shoes, apparently. Jalen Suggs, just from that one shot, just off the NFT, has made $250,000 from that NFT. Quick question. Is Jalen Suggs selling an NFT? Is Jonathan Kaminga selling an NFT? What is your favorite moment from the G League Ignite season, and what NFT are you buying? Because I don't think they're out there. 
No disrespect. And by the way, this isn't a knock on Jalen Green. This isn't a knock on Jonathan Kaminga. They had to do what was right for them and what was right for their families, and it's no disrespect. But again, it's what I'm telling you. Jalen Suggs, that whole season led him to move up draft boards, that one shot NFT 250,000. And I guarantee he is going to have the most and biggest endorsement deals coming into this NBA draft because of his one year of college basketball. So to me, I think this again it's huge for Chet Holmgren, but it speaks to a year ago, we all, myself included, thought, man, I don't really know if any of these guys are going to play college basketball anymore. But I think the smart families, the families, and again, I understand some of it is financial. I understand that some families really do need those couple hundred thousand dollars up front, and I will never criticize anybody. But I think the smart families that can take a step back and say, hey, we may give up $500,000 up front, but we're going to make a lot more on the back end by playing at a Duke, playing at a Gonzaga, playing at a Kentucky. Those families are seeing the forest through the trees and they're seeing the big picture. And Chet Holmgren is just the latest example. Paulo Banchero, who is going to, to Duke next year, is another example. And I think these families are starting to see what I am seeing. I'll also say in the bigger picture, I'm fascinated to see what happens with this G League program in general because, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of takers for this second time around. Now, Michael Foster is probably a top 10, top 15 pick or top 15 player in the class of 2021. He seems like he will be going. Jaden Hardy, top five player in the class of 2021. He seems like he is going. But those are the only two guys right now that seem like they are committed to playing in this G League program. And so I'm getting off topic. This was supposed to be about Chet Holmgren. But as I said, and I just want to reiterate it one last time. Chet Holmgren's commitment is so big for college basketball because it proves it is still a great launching pad for elite high school, for elite high school players. It's a great place for exposure. And yes, I get it. Money is important. Money makes the world go round. We all have bills to pay. I will never criticize anybody. But for those that can afford to use college basketball as a one-year jumping off point, it is a great, great, great platform. But today, right now, this second, let me just be grateful that Chet Holmgren is going to be a college basketball player. And I'll be honest, I am really, really, really excited to see him at Gonzaga. All right, I do want to switch gears to another big college basketball topic. By the way, three great college basketball topics. We will get to Orlando Antigua in a minute, and then from there we'll get to Luca Garza, who is a guest on this show, National Player of the Year, no big deal. It's what AT does. But I do want to hit on another topic, and I do want to give a man some credit that maybe in the past we had a little bit of a rocky, dicey relationship, and that's my boy Mike Woodson. Because as you may remember, when Mike Woodson was hired, I really wasn't that big of a fan. Mike Woodson, of course, the new head coach at Indiana. I believe when Mike Woodson was hired, I said Indiana basketball was dead. I believe I had a moment of silence. I believed I said that Indiana was now a football school. Well, listen, I don't know if Mike Woodson listens to this podcast, but every single thing that he has done, every waking hour since he has taken that job, it seems like all he has done is gone out of his way to do stuff to prove me wrong and I want to take a minute, Indiana fans, I know you're listening to this podcast. I want to give you guys credit. You were right. I was wrong. Mike Woodson has already exceeded the expectations that I had, and I get it. He has never coached a game yet at the college level. I'm not quite putting him on Mount Rushmore with Coach K and John Calipari and Bill Self and uh, whoever else. But what I am saying is for a coach to take over about four weeks ago, he has done everything right. For people who don't follow Indiana basketball day to day, let me catch you up on what he has done. First of all, went into, or excuse me, even before that, the day or two after he got hired, first big move, Trace Jackson Davis, all Big Ten second team, 19 points, eight rebounds a game last year, announces he is coming back to Indiana. The fact that your best player has given up, you know, an NBA opportunity after an all Big Ten season to come back, major win for Mike Woodson. And if that's all he did this whole offseason, that's actually kind of a win. But no, 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 Mike Woodson. That man ain't slowing down. He ain't slowing down for nobody. After the Trace Jackson Davis news, there were three Indiana players that were in the portal when he got there. He went out. He went in and got all three of them out. Uh, Christian Lander, a former five-star point guard that I do believe has a lot of upside. Race Thompson, a big man who started just about every game last year. And Jordan Geronimo, a role player who I think has long-term uh, uh, upside as well. He did lose one player, Armand Franklin, but as I said at the time, listen. Even John Wooden didn't win every single recruiting battle. So goes gets Trace Jackson Davis back, gets three players out of the portal, and then gets another really good player out of the portal in Xavier Johnson. I'm not going to lie. At that point, I kind of thought Mike Woodson's summer was done. 
I thought the spring of Mike Woodson, the summer of Mike Woodson, it was over. Oh, no, was I wrong on that? Because over the last two days, you know what Mike Woodson has done? Gotten two more big-time commitments. So shout-out to my boy Mike Woodson. Because on Monday morning, we all woke up to the news that Tamar Bates may be one of, one of the top high school players still available. Look, he's not on that Chet Holmgren level. He's not on the Patrick Baldwin level. But he's really, really, really good. Tamar Bates, four-star that is now a five-star guard. He commits, and he chooses Indiana. Shout-out Mike Woodson. But this is the first big commitment that Mike Woodson has gotten out of the high school ranks. And this kid's good. Six-foot-five power lefty, you know, kind of a wing-ish type player. He's out of Kansas City, was originally committed um, to uh, to Texas prior to Shaka Smart's departure. When Shaka Smart leaves from Marquette, he reopens his recruitment. Could have gone, I don't want to say anywhere, but had interest from Kentucky, had interest from Kansas, had in- interest from Creighton. He chooses Indiana. Number two, I think he's done. I think Mike Woodson's done. On Tuesday morning, I wake up, Miller Cop. Really good transfer from Northwestern. Averaged 11 and a half points a game last year. Kind of a stretch four-ish type player. Shot 34% from three. Chooses Indiana. So shout out Mike Woodson. In all seriousness, Mike Woodson has been awesome. And he has completely exceeded my expectations. And I want to talk about him, not just because in all seriousness, he got two commitments. Listen, we know how this works. Four-star kids, five-star kids, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. Transfers, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But what I want to do is, first of all, go back and explain why I was critical of the Mike Woodson hire, and then explain why I've been so impressed and why, frankly, I actually think Indiana is going to be good this year. Because here's the thing. So to backtrack, because again, I know some Indiana fans listen to this show. Some of you are saying, oh, Torres, you said the hire was terrible. You gave a moment of silence. Yes, I did, and I own it. I own the fact that at least so far I've been wrong. Now, again, Mike Woodson has never coached a game yet at Indiana, but so far I have been wrong. But I defend my original position, and that's the one thing. A lot of you guys are longtime listeners of this show, and you know. Sometimes in life I get stuff right. Sometimes in life I get stuff wrong. Just like all of us with sports opinions, I'm no different than you guys when then you sit at the bar with your buddies having beers at Buffalo Wild Wings. We argue, we fight, we agree, we disagree. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, whatever. But when, but but the thing with me is, even when I'm wrong, like my, my, my opinion does come from a knowledgeable place, and that knowledgeable place was we really don't have a very good track record of guys coming from the NBA, especially at an older age, down to the college level and having success. There's essentially no track record. And what was especially interesting about the Mike Woodson hire is that it happened right in the middle of Michigan's run to the Elite Eight. And so immediately every Indiana fan and Indiana booster, oh, well, well, Mike Woodson will be our Juwan Howard. And you know what I said at the time? I said Juwan Howard is the unicorn. Juwan Howard is the outlier because that is a guy that is so unique and that is a guy that is having success that basically no kind of college coach that came from the NBA has had immediate success like Juwan Howard. I also said, and it's worth noting, Juwan Howard, he had two sons that were being recruited. So to compare Mike Woodson at 63 years old, who hadn't been on a college campus in 40 years, to Juwan Howard, who was 46 years old when he was hired and had two sons that were going through the college recruiting process, it, wasn't, it, was, it was apples and oranges. It wasn't fair to compare them because Juwan Howard, even though he was quote-unquote in the NBA, he was around college coaches, he was around AAU basketball, he understood how all this stuff worked. And so I always, I don't want to say that I thought Joan Howard was going to be a home run hire, but to compare him even on the day he was hired to Mike Woodson wasn't fair. Again, Mike Woodson, uh, you know, 63 years old, hadn't been on a college campus in 40 years. And my biggest concern with Mike Woodson was not only that he was entering college, but he was entering college at one of the high, highest stakes jobs in college basketball after 40 years away at a time where college athletics is completely changing as we knew it. And so forgive me that Mike Woodson was entering at a time where the transfer portal is all of a sudden a thing, okay? The transfer portal wasn't even a thing five years ago, let alone 40 years ago when Mike Woodson was, was playing. And so the idea that he's just going to jump in, naturally understand how the portal works, naturally be able to figure it out, naturally be able to recruit players, his own players out of there, recruit, re-recruit his own players back to campus, and then from there recruit good players out of the portal to come to Indiana, I'm sorry. I didn't think he was going to have that success. But to his credit, whether he fully understands the portal or not, he has hired some very smart people. So at the very least, one, I think Mike Woodson's been awesome. But two, on top of that, I give him credit for hiring smart people around him. Again, there really is not a really big track record of NBA guys coming down to the college level and having success. 
Chris Mullen completely crashed and burned at St. John's. Uh, Patrick Ewing, I know he had one good weekend at the Big East Tournament this year, but for the most part, his, his, his tenure has not been very good at Georgetown, and I would say on top of that, even after that incredible Big East Tournament run, you know what happened? His best player went in the portal the day after the season ended. Uh, Dan Marley at Grand Canyon, no success. Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt just lost his best player to the portal. And so I bring all this stuff up just to say, like, there were legitimate reasons that Mike Woodson, there were there were legitimate reasons to at least question him. But to his credit, he has at the very least surrounded himself by smart people that understand the current landscape of college basketball, and he's adjusting on the fly real quick. You know, it's funny, everyone's talking about the Thad Mata thing. I don't even know if the Thad Mata thing really matters, to be perfectly honest. Thad Mata, of course, the former Ohio State coach, he's kind of like the assistant to, to Mike Woodson, kind of a, a figure a, a, a figurative assistant coaching title, but he can't be on the court coaching. He can't be on the road recruiting. And so I think instead, instead of giving Thad Mata too much credit, let's give Mike Woodson credit for the assistant coaching hires that he's made. Kenya Hunter, who was a longtime assistant, or not a long, he's a longtime college assistant, spent one year under Archie Miller, but he was a player, he was a guy that had the players' respect. I mentioned the three players that got pulled out of the portal by Mike Woodson. I forgot to mention a fourth, Parker Stewart, who was a sit-out transfer last year, who was re-recruited, and it was in large part because of his relationship with Kenny Hunter. Uh, Mike Woodson also brought in Dane Fife, longtime uh, Indiana icon, who's been a coach at Mi Michigan State the last couple years. And so at the very least, I still don't know if Mike Woodson really understands this transfer portal stuff, but he at least hired smart people who do. And I do believe Mike Woodson, for, for the record, uh, you know, does understand it, and, and I, I do just frankly give him credit for doing what he's doing and I think not only do I give him credit not only do I give him credit for surrounding himself with smart people not only do I give him credit because he has just been significantly better than I was expecting but I'll say this too as I look at that Indiana team next year I can't lie that's a pretty good freaking team and I know it's always weird to speculate you know in in April about next November and I understand Mike Woodson has never coached a game but I'm telling you, you guys know I follow the transfer portal stuff. I do the way too early top 25 stuff. And when you start looking at that Indiana roster for next year, I'm just telling you, there aren't very many teams that are going to be on paper better than Indiana going into next year. And I understand they were great on paper going into this year with Archie Miller. But still, you look at the roster. Trace Jackson Davis, all Big Ten uh, power forward is back. Now he's got to work on his game. He's got to stretch things out. He's got to be able to shoot the ball a little bit better. But you can't deny that that guy is a really, really good college basketball player that will play in the NBA someday. Race Thompson, big guy down low, don't know how Mike Woodson is going to play, don't know how he fits, but he's a proven commodity in the Big Ten. Rob Finnessy, point guard, is back. Xavier Johnson, point guard from Pitt, really good player, really good playmaker, really good distributor. He is stepping in. Christian Lander, as I said, former five-star guy. A couple other returnees, a couple other guys that are on the roster, Jerome Hunter. But I just bring it up to say, I'm just telling you right now, I think Indiana has a chance to be really good next year, and it's worth noting, the Big Ten is going to be going through a little bit of a shakeup at the top. Uh, Luca Garza, who's going to be on the podcast in a few minutes, he ain't in Iowa no more. Iowa's in a major rebuild with him gone, C.J. Frederick gone, Jordan Bohannon gone, all that stuff. Wisconsin has lost some key guys. Uh, Illinois has obviously lost some key guys, including an assistant coach, which we're going to get into in a minute. Uh, who else? Uh, Michigan obviously lost a big chunk of that Elite Eight team. So Mike Woodson, Indiana, he is entering this Big Ten at a perfect time with the perfect team. And I'm just telling you, I made fun of the hire, but I was wrong. I need to hold a moment of silence for that take because it was terrible. But shout out to my boy, Mike Woodson, who has exceeded expectations as Indiana coach so far. All right, last little topic before we get to Luca Garza. But I take that back. I already take it back. It's not a little topic. It is a major topic. And it's funny, right? Because it's not often on this podcast that I talk about assistant coaching hires. Sorry, it doesn't really generally move the needle. In the same way, I wouldn't talk about, uh, I don't know, USC hiring a defensive coordinator in football or Texas hiring an O-line coach in football. I'm not going to talk about uh, assistant coaching hires in college basketball on a national show because there's too much other stuff to get to. But I will make an exception when arguably the best recruiter in college basketball switches jobs, and that is what is reported to have happened late Wednesday night. Matt Jones, my buddy, Kentucky Sports Radio, Matt does not put out something on Kentucky unless it is about to happen. It was later confirmed by Jeff Goodman. But Orlando Antigua, 
who was at Illinois, longtime John Calipari assistant years ago, was at Illinois the last couple of years, is reportedly going to Kentucky. He's coming home. I'm, under, I'm told and I understand that he will be the highest paid assistant in college basketball when he ultimately returns to Kentucky. But let me tell you, this is landscape changing, mega, mega, mega news. A little bit of backstory for people who don't know, Orlando Antigua was basically with John Calipari through all the glory years. Uh, he was with him at Memphis. I think people forget just how good Memphis was under Calipari. His last four years, they made four Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, and made a national championship game. So it wasn't even just at Kentucky. I mean, they were really rolling at Memphis. Then they end up at Kentucky. And basically, you could argue that all of the best teams under John Calipari at Kentucky had Orlando Antigua's fingerprints on it. 2010, obviously, the, the, the staff arrives with John Calipari, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe. I'm not saying Orlando Antigua deserves credit for all of those guys, but he was the lead recruiter at that time. 2012, just a little guy named Anthony Davis. Maybe you heard of him. NBA All-Star, NBA champion. Orlando Antigua was his lead recruiter. And then it's worth noting that Orlando Antigua also um, was the, the last class that he signed was in 2014. He then took a head coaching job. And, of course, the last class he signed was was part of one of the greatest regular season college basketball teams we've ever seen, the 2014-2015 Kentucky Wildcats. Enter the tournament undefeated, make it to the Final Four, on and on and on and on and on. Antigua leaves, and I think you can legitimately argue that Kentucky has not been quite the same college basketball program since. By the way, for people who don't know the backstory, Antigua takes a head coaching job, he gets fired, he's not very good, but then he ends up at Illinois, and oh, about 10 seconds later, they're back to being a nationally relevant top 10 team. He's really plugged in in New York. A lot of the New York guys that Illinois had, Kofi Coburn, or uh, Andre Curbelo, were of credit to Orlando Antigua for, uh, for his, he gets credit for bringing those guys in. But again, it is worth noting that I think it's fair to say that Kentucky has not really been the same team and the same program since Orlando Antigua left. And I know we got a lot of Kentucky fans who listen, and I know a lot of you guys agree with me. Not saying that we need to discredit anybody else, that this guy stinks, that guy didn't get the job done. But you really look at post-Orlando Antigua, I would argue Kentucky really had one great recruiting class after Antigua left. It was the Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo 2016-2017 team. And look, Kentucky had other great elite players that signed with them after. Jamal Murray, you know, Scalabissier, he didn't work out at the college or NBA level, but he was a really highly touted prospect coming out of high school. Kevin Knox, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, some of those guys worked, some of them didn't. It's not as though Kentucky has not recruited good players, but the quality overall of the players, I think you can say, has not been the same since Orlando Antigua left. Um, and I would say in some ways some of Kentucky's best players since he left have been those developmental guys like a Tyler Hero, like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but the bottom line is recruiting has not been the same. The program has been good, but I don't think elite. They, again, have not made a Final Four since 2014-2015, the year after Orlando Antigua left, and it's no secret. Things didn't really go this that well this year for John Calipari, 9-16, and and something has to change. And so he goes out, and the report, again from Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, is that Orlando Antigua is coming home to be at Kentucky with John Calipari. Like I said, I, I am told he will be the highest paid assistant in college basketball when it's all said and done. And the report was essentially confirmed by Jeff Goodman a few hours later. Tony Barbie, an assistant coach at Kentucky, reportedly set to take the Central Michigan job. So that's the backstory, and now let's get into why it is so important. It's important because of what I just said. Kentucky has not been the same since Orlando Antigua left. Haven't been bad. They've had some great teams. Just won the SEC two years ago. And I'll say this, like in defense of Calipari and all these guys, like I still believe that if there this had been a normal season, the 2020-2021 season, normal offseason, get kids to campus in June, they can work out as much as they want, they can train, they can be in the facility as much as they want, I believe this Kentucky team would have been at the very least an NCAA tournament team. I don't think they were a national championship caliber team. I don't think that it was one of Calipari's better teams, but I do think that this team, like, I, I think they would have been in the NCAA tournament. Now, 
doesn't really matter. Kentucky doesn't play to go to NCAA tournaments, and it would have been clear that they wouldn't have, even if they made the NCAA tournament, they wouldn't have been a threat, and that to a degree, they're falling behind programs like Alabama and Arkansas who are recruiting their brains out, really well coached, had success in the NCAA tournament this year. So it was clear that something had to change, and there was no bigger move that John Calipari could make than to bring back Orlando Antigua. Look, from the recruiting perspective, I mean, the guy's a stud. Like I said, he had so much success at the University of Kentucky, and it's worth noting. On top of that, um, he gets to Illinois, and three years later, they're in the hunt for a national championship. It didn't work out. They didn't even make the Sweet 16, but that was a really, really, really good team. A lot of the best players on that team, Kofi Coburn, Andre Corbello, they were his guys. And so now he comes back. He changes the paradigm in recruiting, going from Kentucky, going from Illinois to Kentucky, and I just think it's a major X factor. I, I just think Kentucky has lost some of that juice in recruiting. I think they've lost some of their swagger. I think they've lost some of their confidence. They really have not gotten those elite of elite of elite high school players over the last four or five years. And I think it's worth noting. I just said it with the G League 10 minutes ago when I was talking about Chet Holmgren. I don't think the G League may be as big of a factor as we were expecting a year or two ago. So I do think those, those elite high school players are still going to want to play college basketball. And now it's up to Orlando Antigua to get them or not. I would also say, this is where I think Orlando Antigua's role is going to be important as well. I think Kentucky needs a good cop to John Calipari's bad cop. And that was something that Orlando Antigua did really well when he was at Kentucky six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. It was something Kenny Payne did. And I was talking to somebody really plugged in at Kentucky, not an assistant coach, not a player, but somebody that knows the inner workings. And they told me that they thought that was the biggest problem last year. And if you watched Kentucky, by the way, and I criticized them, I said it on this podcast, I also said it on my Twitter feed, I said, wait a second now, watch those Kentucky games. You have John Calipari yelling and screaming like a maniac. Then these kids come to the sideline with their head down, and they don't have anybody to go pick them up. And that was the role that Kenny Payne played, and they didn't have that guy last year. And if you watch that team, there was just such a lack of confidence. There was just such a lack of an ability to, to do what was needed to be done. And then when things went wrong and Calipari's yelling, nobody was there to pick him up. You know, I had somebody tell me, I'm not here to criticize any individual person, but that basically Bruiser Flint, who came last offseason from Indiana, was supposed to play that role. And instead, Bruiser Flint thought he was John Calipari 2.0. Calipari yells at him. The kid goes, sits down. Bruiser Flint yells at him. You can't have that. And so I do think that Orlando Antigua, great recruiter. I also think he will be that good cop to John Calipari's bad cop. You need that guy in that practice facility that when that freshman has a bad practice, he has a bad day, he's overwhelmed because college basketball is a lot tougher than he thought, you got to have that guy. And by the way, that happens at every school in America, including Kentucky. I remember talking to John Calipari about it for my book, that John Wall came into his office his first year and said, Coach, I don't think I can do this. He said, John Wall, you're really good, but this is hard. And you need that guy, and Kentucky didn't have that guy last year. And so the fact that Orlando Antigua is coming back is huge. On top of it, let me just say one last thing. Great news for Kentucky, great news for recruiting. Let's give John Calipari a little bit of credit here, man. Listen, I, I'm not in the I'm not in the make excuses for a guy that's making eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, whatever he's making. But at the same time, I give him credit and I give Kentucky fans credit because there are a lot of programs where one bad year would be excused, right? Duke had a bad year. Nobody's calling for Coach K to shake up his staff. UNC missed the NCAA tournament last year. They were terrible. Obviously, there was no NCAA tournament, but they were below 500. Nobody was demanding that Roy Williams shakes things up. Well, Kentucky fans just said, Coach Cal, this is unacceptable. And to Coach Cal's credit, he listened. And he said, you know what? You're right. This isn't the standard that I've set. This isn't the standard that these fans have set. You guys deserve better. We deserve better. We need to be better. So shout out to him for looking himself in the mirror. Again, I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just stating facts. And shout out to him for going out and getting the one guy that everybody knew you had to get, doing what it takes, do whatever money, whatever this, whatever that, whatever title you need. John Calipari just went out, put it out there, and gave it to Orlando Antigua to get him to come to Kentucky. So this is major. This is huge. I'm not saying everything gets solved overnight, but I'll tell you, we'll talk about Kentucky because they're going to figure out this point guard situation soon. Even a report that Adam Miller from Illinois could end up being that point guard. My understanding, by the way, is that Orlando Antigua was not the lead recruiter for Adam Miller, but however, that maybe uh, you know they have a good relationship and that maybe uh, Adam Miller will be following Orlando Antigua to Kentucky.
But the bottom line remains, this was huge. And I do give credit to John Calipari. This was kind of a OG John Calipari, uh, you know, uh, still Dre, you know, MFers act like they forgot about Dre. MFers for act like they forgot about Cal. Well, Cal, ain't, he ain't dead yet, baby. Throw some dirt on that grave. He ain't dead yet. Not ready to pile some dirt on that grave. So anyway, big news, important news. And again, I don't normally talk... Um, I don't normally talk uh, assistant coaching hires, but in the college basketball landscape, in an ever-increasingly difficult SEC where Alabama is rolling, Nate Oates ain't slowing down anytime soon, Arkansas is rolling, Eric Musselman ain't slowing down anytime soon, Rick Barnes, at the very least, he can recruit his butt off. They got a really talented team at Tennessee next year. On and on and on and on and on. LSU, you know you know, Will Wade can, can recruit. Uh, they, they, you know, Kentucky needed a, a shot in the arm. They needed a pep in their step. And they got it with Orlando Antigua. All right, that is it for this segment of the Aaron Torres podcast. Luca Garza coming up. But before we get to Luca Garza, I want to welcome back our favorite sponsor, our friends at Manscaped. Fellas, it's spring, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. Yes, fellas, I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code TORRES to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They are here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. And ladies, as I always mention ladies, the female friends of the Aaron Torres podcast, listen, it doesn't just have to be your man that gets the Manscaped. If they're lacking confidence, they don't want to talk about it, do yourself a favor, get yourself a gift. Mother's Day's coming up. You can get yourself a gift. Manscaped.com promo code Torres gets you 20% off as well uh, on all purchases. Again, spring is sprung and Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Weather is getting nice, all that good stuff. Maybe, gentlemen, you want to wear your Speedo, so you got to keep things clean and fresh down there. I should mention also, by the way, Manscaped is here to help your above-the-waist holes, too. That's right, fellas, I'm talking about your ears and nose. Have you heard about the Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind, fellas. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker, again, for your nose and ears, uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds something to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Speaking of hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day downstairs as well. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, spray-on toner for your balls, which will keep you smelling fresh down there just like spring flowers. Speaking of smelling fresh, complete your grooming game with this spring with the new refined cologne signature sent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. The cologne is light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. You'll be the talk of your next poolside, quarantine, bar, wherever you're hanging out. You will be the talk of it. Smell good, feel good, look good this spring. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Torres at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for your job. Again, 20% off plus free shipping with Manscaped. Promo code Torres, manscaped.com. Ladies, again, do yourself a favor, do your husband a favor, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Torres. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. All right, finally, we are officially ready for the interview with Luca Garza. Let me just say this, Luca Garza was awesome. Great kid, great guy. If you remember, he actually came on the podcast late, uh, you know, towards the end of the the, the regular season uh, last year, right after the NCAA tournament was canceled. Great interview. This time I obviously got to do it through Zoom, so it was cool to be face-to-face. We talk a little bit about the NFT stuff. We talk about his career at Iowa um, and and all sorts of good stuff. You know, his pro career, how he's preparing, how he's trimming down, all that good stuff. You're really going to enjoy the Luca Garza interview. Before I get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. 
Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. We did a mailbag last week. Maybe we'll bring it back next week. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment. Thank you to our sponsor, Manscaped. Hope you guys enjoyed. And now, again, interview National Player of the Year, Luca Garza. I want to thank Hoop Hall for helping set this up. If you want more information, Luca Garza won the Wooden Award for the National Player of the Year. Go to hoophallawards.com. You can find out more information. Also, follow Hoop Hall on Twitter at Hoop Hall. Follow Hoop Hall on Instagram at Hoop Hall. That is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. Here is. National Player of the Year, Wooden Award winner, courtesy of Hoop Hall, Luca Garza. All right, joining me via Zoom, he is the Wooden Award winner as the National Player of the Year. Of course, the Wooden Award presented by Hoop Hall. You can find more information on all the awards at hoophallawards.com. Follow them on Twitter at Hoop Hall, on Instagram at Hoop Hall. But as mentioned, Wooden Award, National Player of the Year. We did this this time last year. Luca Garza, what's going on, man? How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for having me. I- I'm blessed to be here again. Well, I I appreciate you finding time again. You're a very busy man. So the first thing I want to ask you, um, you know, you made some headlines here over the last couple of weeks, and I'm kind of an old man. I don't really understand how this NFT game works, but uh, you obviously auctioned off your NFT. I believe the auction is already completed. Uh, but but for people that are new, I mean, there were a lot of cool elements to get to meet in person. Um, you know, obviously, a portion of the NFT was donated to the Iowa Children's Hospital, which is incredible. But just tell us a little bit about that, because I, I'll be honest, man, like I kind of followed this NBA Top Shot stuff from a distance, but I didn't really know. And then there's NFT. Now I see Jalen Suggs did it. Evan Mobley did it. But of course, you decided to do it about a week, week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, so I, I thought I saw the NFT as such a cool and unique opportunity for me to kind of, you know, kind of go into this way of developing my brand. Um, and an NFT, in, in short, you know, obviously as a kid, I always liked to have trading cards and different, you know, NBA or whatever, you know, kind of trading cards and collect them. So an, an NFT is a non fungible token. So it's basically a digital trading card. Um, and the thing that was unique about my trading card um, is that it came with a, a list of things. Um, obviously there was a opportunity to meet me, uh, go to dinner with me, play horse with me, um, and, and a lifetime pass any camp that I do. And then obviously a signed pair of the, the shoes that I wore when I broke Roy Marble's scoring record at the University of Iowa. So the, it came with a lot. And obviously, like you said, this this, this auction was completed um, a, about a week ago. Um, and and I, so I just saw it as a, as a really unique opportunity. It was very successful. I'm very, very glad it was that now I'm able to you know, give some money back to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital um, and different things like that. So I, I, I thought it was really cool and I'm excited to continue to do these in the future. And, and I'm excited that more people are trying it. Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned, but Evan Mobley came out with one uh, last week that, you know, just went very well for him and, and Jalen Suggs just released one the other day. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited that, you know, more and more people are kind of hopping on this train and seeing you know what we can do in terms of this market so uh, uh it's it's been a really fun process um and and for everybody who doesn't know that i've done it you know i'm going to continue to be doing them um, so you have an opportunity to get the next one then that, that was going to be my next question so first nba basket draft night stuff like that people will still have the opportunity to kind of cash in on these things in the future Definitely. You know, I, I think there are a lot of great moments um, that I've had at the University of Iowa, and I'm going to try to capture a lot of them through these NFT cards. And, and so I'm excited to continue to do that and be able to continue to give money back to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital uh, throughout this process. But, you know, with the team I have, you know, obviously my dad, who who's kind of the genius behind the whole idea, and, and, and the other list, you know, are different designers and different people that, you know, are kind of involved in the setting up of these cars. We're very excited about continuing to do these in the future. Um, and, and I'm excited to continue to help them um, in any way I can. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, locked in in terms of, you know, my mindset going into this draft. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll still be able to find the time to be able to, uh, to make some more cards. 
So uh, part of the uh, winner, as you mentioned, I believe it, you said dinner, but I saw dinner and a movie online. So what is dinner and a movie like with Luca Garza? Like, well, what kind of movies we watching? We watching comedy, romantic comedy. What are we doing for dinner and a movie with Luca Garza? You know, I haven't, you know, completely decided yet. And, you know, obviously um, I'm actually meeting with the winner on Zoom uh, probably tomorrow with my dad and, and, and with the designer of the car. So, you know, I think we'll talk about it then. Okay. And see, you know, what kind of way we want to go about it. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is The Godfather. So, you know, we can go that route, but I'm always down for a funny movie or, or something like that. Yeah, it might be a little serious for, uh, you know, yeah. you and a stranger. A little long, too. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, so I mentioned this off the top, but, you know, you are the Wooden Award winner. Uh, Hoopal was nice enough to set us up. And we actually did this at this time last year, and, and it's kind of just surreal for me. I was telling you before we started just to look back, one, where we were as a country a year ago, where we were as sports. I mean, I don't even think we were talking about what sports would look like when they came back. I mean, you went through the whole process, the draft process, the return process, playing a full season – now that it's done, I mean, how surreal is it, not just this past year, but but that the fact that your four-year career at Iowa, very much decorated, you know, all sorts of individual awards, team awards, things like that. How surreal is it for you to be like, man, this thing is really done, and I really am officially onto that next chapter of my career? You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, an, it's an unbelievable feeling. I've had so many memories, so many great moments, uh, so many tough times. Um, you know, at the University of Iowa, and I'm just so thankful for every single step of the way, and that kind of paved me into the player and the person that I am today. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm excited to be able to leave Iowa with a with a degree in economics, and and obviously with with everything I was able to accomplish on the basketball court. And you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't be here without the University of Iowa, without Coach McCaffrey, um, you know, and 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 the rest of uh, you know the Iowa family. Um, you know, they they for sure, you know, got me to where I am today. And so I'm, I'm forever thankful and forever indebted to a lot of people in that great state. Um, so, you know, for me, you know, to think about how fast it's gone by, you know, uh, four years, you know, everyone says that, but you don't, until you truly experience it, you don't understand what that means yet. And uh, to know that, it, you know, it's over is, is a crazy feeling. But for me, you know, I'm very excited about the next step and being able to continue to push myself as a basketball player and as a person. And, continue to grow and learn and excited to to find a new home and a new new organization that I can play for and represent to the best of my ability you know I was going to get to that later on down the road but since you bring it up I think that's a really interesting element what is it like you know the college it's a cliche but it's true college recruiting process everybody comes to you you get to decide where you want to go what's best for you I know you went through it a little bit with the draft process last year but how surreal is it to uh, you know, whatever it is, 8, 10, 12 weeks from now, one of 30 cities, you could be going to any one of them. Uh, how surreal is that to think about? You know, it's, it's, it's really crazy. But, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you always, you know, you're in your, your backyard, you're playing basketball, you're dreaming of that moment of being able to, to join an NBA team and, and, and call yourself an NBA basketball player. Uh, so for me, you know, if, that, if I were lucky enough for that to happen to me, I'd be you know, overwhelmed and very excited. And, and so I'm, you know, I, I don't, you know, care where I go. I'm, I'm going to be very excited just to be in the NBA and, and have a chance to, to make a name for myself. So, you know, this is, this is definitely, you know, we're entering, you know, the, the most important and, and, you know, honestly, my favorite part of basketball, which is the off season and, and the ability to improve yourself and work as hard as you can and separate yourself from others. And I, I feel like I've done that at every step of the way and I'm excited to continue to do that now going into the NBA. I was going to actually ask you about that because, you know, last year, again, you declared, you went through the process, all that stuff, but you know, there's kind of this idea you were consensus all American last year as two years ago as a junior, the 2019, 2020 season that was cut short. And there was kind of this idea. I mean, how much better can he get? And of course you did improve last off season. You did get better. You, you know, statistically you went up, the team was a little bit better this year. Um, I don't even know what the question is really, but it's just, you know, it's just funny to me to think about the questions that we had. Oh, you know, he's, you know, he's a college junior and then you, you improve so much this year. I mean, I don't know what that says about your work ethic or your love of being in the gym. I, again, I'm a bad interviewer because I don't even really have a question with this, but it's just something I was kind of thinking about again, as we were preparing for this interview. No, I mean, 
uh, thank you for that. It's, it's, it's definitely a, you know, a great frame of a question for me to, to kind of talk about. And, and, you know, it was definitely hard, you know, going into a senior year after, you know, I had the junior year that I had, I had so many expectations uh, for what people wanted me to be and, and for our team and what we wanted to be. And so to be able to, you know, the, the most proud thing I am of last year is being able to get a, a two seed in, in the NCAA tournament. You know, that, that hasn't happened at Iowa in a very long time. And that just shows, especially in our league, you know, how tough that was to be able to pull off and, and to have some of the wins we do, you know, winning at Ohio State in their gym and, and so many countless other, you know, great wins. Um, you know, that's that was something that was an unbelievable experience, but it was tough, you know, all the the pressure going into it and everything like that, you know, I, had, I really had to use meditation and different things to kind of be able to go out there and be myself every single night. Um, and, and I think I was definitely able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I knew that there were some things over the summer that I really wanted to improve. Um, you know, I, I really focused on continuing to improve my confidence and shooting ability from the three point line. And I was able to you know, raise my percentage, you know, 8%. And, and that's something I'm very, very proud of. And, you know, continuing with different things and trying to help on the defensive end and, and, and help this team become a better defensive team. And, and we were a far better defensive team than we were my junior year. Um, and then there was a point towards the end of the year, if you took like, you know, there was a 10, 11 game stretch where we were, you know, one of the top defenses in the country. And that's something that we hadn't been able to do any of my years at Iowa. So, you know, I think there, there's a lot of things to be look, look to look back on and be proud of. Um, in terms of the steps that, you know, not only I, but everyone on the team took between my junior and senior year to be able to make us such a more successful group as a team. And obviously we wish we did better in, in, in March and things like that, but, you know, that's just how the game goes. Um, and, and we did a lot of things that we can be proud of uh, for a long time. Well, and that's what I was going to say is I know there's no, you know, everybody competes to, to win that last game of the season, but only one team can. One thing that stood out to me about you guys is, you know, kind of middle of the low of the Big Ten season. It's a grind. We know how good the conference is, 20 league games. But you guys really were peaking towards the end of the season into the Big Ten tournament. You know, I don't know if that's a testament to you, your teammates, your coaching staff, whatever. But look, only one team can win. But the fact that I, I feel like towards the end of the year, you were putting your best foot forward, again, is a testament to the group of guys that you had in that locker room that, you know, maybe if the bracket goes a little bit different or if you don't get the team necessarily that you got uh, in that loss, that, that, you know, you guys could have even gone significant, not could have, you, you would have gone significantly further, you know? Definitely. You know, we won nine of our last uh, 11 games going into, you know, the, the Big Ten tournament. So we were we were playing our best basketball. Obviously, we had a little bit of struggle. We had some injuries. Um, and we had guys, you know, who were banged up. You know, Connor McCaffrey, after the year, got, you know, double is getting – he's had one hip surgery. Now he's getting the second hip surgery. And, you know, obviously, C.J. Frederick, who was a huge part of our team, um, was dealing with injuries throughout the entire year. So I think we hit a real real – rough spot there and um you know but the the great thing about that is we were able to recover from that and be able to go out there and, and play the best basketball that we've played since i've been here and, and put ourselves in a position to be successful in the tournament and obviously you know like you said there's you know so many circumstances that has to happen for a team to be able to make it really far in march you got to be you know lucky to a certain extent you got to be healthy and you got to be playing our best basketball and i think we were playing our best basketball uh, but we missed on the other two. So, you know, I think that's just kind of what happens with, with, with the NCAA tournament. And we're, that's what's such a blessing about being able to tournament or to be able to play in it. And I, I just, you know, forever I'll wish that I, would, I had a chance my junior year as well um, to just continue to build experience in the tournament. The more shots you have on it, uh, you, know. you know, the more chances there are for something to go your way and, and be able to make a special run like that. And I, I wish I could have been able to do that for the University of Iowa and all the great people. And I, I do have confidence that the guys that we had and, 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 and Coach McCaffrey, that that is going to happen at some point. It, it just, you know, didn't happen in my group. Fantastic. You talk about the next step of your journey. Obviously, it's it is the NBA draft. Um, you know, what are you do, what are you doing right now? I mean, because like you said, the offseason is the time to get better. And this is, you know, in some ways, the biggest offseason of your career. Um, you know, what are you working on? I mean, I, we all know kind of uh, and, and frankly, you went through the draft process last year as well. So what did you learn from that draft process? And uh, what are you working on now to put your best foot forward for when you can get in front of NBA teams if you haven't already? Definitely. You know, I, I learned a lot last year. You know, teams wanted to obviously see me improve, uh, 
you know, on the defensive end and my ability to be, you know, better in lateral movement situations and different things like that. And as, as far, and they also wanted me to continue to work on my three point shot. Um, and I, and I definitely focus on that, but they also wanted me to improve as a passer last year and be able to pass out of double teams better and turn the ball over less. And, uh, you know, my assist numbers, you know, in, in turnover numbers improved a lot. Um, and, 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 you know, sometimes it wasn't always, you know, I'd get the assist, but I'd get the ball to the right person to make the right play to the next person. Um, and that was what kind of Connor McCaffrey was for me is I was able to you know, navigate the double team, find him, and then he would find somebody else. And obviously he was one of the leaders in, in, in assist to turnover ratio two years in a row. And he was able to do a very good job with that. But, you know, I definitely w worked on improving and being able to set guys up and put them in positions to score. Um, and, and so that was all last year what I was trying to do. And now going into this, this step, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of doing a lot of things. I'm trying to drop a little weight, uh, just to become a little bit more quicker, a little faster. Um, and, and I think I had to be a little bit heavier in the Big Ten because of all the, the, the big bodies that I was seeing every single night out. But I think in, in, in the NBA with the faster paced game and more big guys stretching it out that I have to be, I can be a little bit, I can afford to be a little bit slimmer um, and, and be able to do that. And as well as just continuing to work on my touch and three point shot and and defensive ability, my footwork, and continue to speed that up as much as I can um, to just kind of maximize my potential as an athlete. So that's, you know, that's that's the biggest thing I'm focused on. I'm back home in D.C. I'm working out every day. I signed with my agent. I'm very excited about that. So it's it's all going well right now. Yeah, I, I, I saw you say the thing about the Big Ten that there's, you know, whether it's Hunter Dickinson, E.J. Liddell, whomever, like a lot of big bodies. So it's a dumb question. I mean, everybody's trying to trim down as we get into uh, beach weather here in the coming weeks. But um, like like as an athlete, I mean, I just found that really interesting because we think of college athletes, professional athletes being the peak physicality of everybody. But you're kind of even reshaping your body in the process. I mean, what kind of stuff are you doing uh, to get your body, like you said, a little quicker, a little more trimmed down? Because the Big Ten, it is, a, it, it, you know, it's a great conference, but it's a different game maybe than 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 uh, the NBA. Definitely. Um, you know, I think first, the first thing I'm doing is obviously when you step into the professional ranks, your diet becomes even more important. So, you know, having, having a, you know, a, a, di a dietitian that I work with closely and being able to provide me meals and, and then different things like that, a chef as well, who are able to kind of guide my diet to make sure that I'm eating what's optimal for me to lose weight, but keep lose fat, but keep my strength. Um, so that's the biggest thing. But yes, I think you know, obviously you see the, the best athletes are at the NBA level and, and, and how fast the game is, you know, it's hard to play at a very, very high weight. And there's only a few who can play that heavy. Um, and, and I could still be as strong as I am now, but, you know, 10 to 15 pounds lighter. Um, and I'm very confident in my ability to do that while I continue to work in the weight room, but obviously trimming down, um, you know, all the, all the, all the fat um, or whatever, you know, around my body. So I'm just trying to, you know, kind of, continue to maximize like I said my potential as an athlete and I think I need to to lose a little weight to be able to do that and be a little quicker and more explosive um you know for NBA teams to be able to see that I'm, I'm more athletic than people think I am <laughs> so when I go on the court and and hopefully I, I'll, I'll surprise the people and show that um so they can understand that yeah he has the potential to be able to translate to the NBA because um you know there's not really a lot of questions about my offense it's more about my defense and my mobility and my be able to my able to move my ability to move so focusing on that and 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 doing that while showing improved offense and different moves and different things that I'm adding I think will help me out a lot last couple of questions to get you out of here the first one you just mentioned it you know people say oh you know he's you said it like not you question your athleticism whatever but I mean obviously anybody that's watched you play know knows how versatile you are. You can step out, you can step in low post back to the basket, all that stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's not often that a national player of the year kind of goes into the NBA draft with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, maybe, but I'm guessing, you know, it's strike. You strike me as a guy that, that plays best with a chip on his shoulder. It's funny, you know, the Trevor Lawrence stuff that came out last week where he said, that's not really who I am. That's not what I'm about, but you strike me as the opposite um, you know, do, do you like, do you, I, you obviously to some degree have to care what people think because you're, you know, you're competing for a spot, but, uh, do you have a chip on your shoulder? Do you still feel like you have people to prove wrong at, with, even after all the success that you've had? Definitely. You know, I feel like every step of my career I've, I've gone in, um, you know, with, 
with an expectation that I needed to prove people wrong and, and show people that I belong. And that happened you know, going into high school, happened going into college that people didn't think my game would translate to a high major level. And then obviously now going into the NBA, you're kind of hearing the same thing. So I'm used to this um, and I embrace it. It's something that motives, motive, I use it as motivation. And I'm always a guy who I, I love criticism. I love accepting criticism. When people criticize me, I, I listen to it and I try to use it um, in any way to help me. So, you know, I, for, for me, you know, I think there's always a, always a chip on my shoulder and always something that, you know, is kind of pushing me, um, you know, to improve myself no matter what. And I feel like, you know, you kind of, you know, different people are motivated by different things, but I feel like you always have to have something that's motivating you all the time. And that for me is that, and, and my love for the game and basketball. So I, th I think those two things combined is, is why, you know, I, I take such pride in, in off season and being able to work and separate from others. Two quick questions. I'll let you go. The first one mentioned you're the wooden award winner presented by who Paul, you can visit whopaulawards.com for full details. I know you're a team guy, team first, but what does it mean to you? I mean, to be recognized as the best player in college basketball. I know it's a reflection of your coaches and teammates, but there has to be a sense of pride for how hard you've worked, for how much you've put into this game to be recognized by voters, peers, all that stuff. You're going into college, you know, I, I never um, even, you know, the thought never even popped in my head about getting to that point. You know, I never thought that that was something that could happen for me. Um, but I just wanted to work as hard as I could to become the best player I could. And, and for this to happen, to be able to, to be consensus national player of the year is, is uh, you know, an unreal feeling. And I think, you know, later in life is something that's going to hit me and then really just kind of be, you know, like, wow, that, that I was able to accomplish that. And, and um, so I'm just really thankful for the teammates and coaches and obviously my family and my dad who's pushed me every single step of the way um, to get to this point. Um, and I wouldn't be here without any of them. So it's, it's definitely an in incredible feeling and to win, you know, awards in the, in the names of people like, you know, John Wooden, whom you know, my grandfather actually knew very well and they were friends. And I was taught a lot about him growing up. And obviously, you know, when you talk about Naismith creating the game, and Oscar Robertson, all of these, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all of these names that, you know, uh, I get recognized with an award in that name is, um, is, is an unreal feeling. And it's a lot more to say, you know, Pete Newell, um, and, and, and so many others, uh, you know, Lute Olson, uh, you know, any of them, you know, I'm just really thankful that, you know, I was able to be uh, you know, thought of in that way. Man, I've taken up too much of your time. The fact that your grandfather knew John Wooden is pretty cool. But uh, last one, you know, you mentioned your dad. Uh, how cool is it? You know, like I look, I'm a little bit older than you. You know, my parents are getting a little bit older, but to have that experience, that bond of, yeah, you you did all this yourself and you deserve 100% credit, but the fact that you had your dad by your side, all that stuff, how cool was that? And then kind of on the flip side, you ever you ever like rewatch a game and your dad got maybe like a little too much airtime? Because I we saw a lot of your dad with these Iowa games we were watching the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, that's funny. No, I, I definitely have seen you know, some of the clips and I – I just really laugh when they mic them up or whatever. <laughs> I think it's really, really funny. Um, but no, I think it's it's awesome to be able to share this kind of experience with him. It was almost like we both, you know, won the award because, you know, he kind of won it as the guy who trained me or developed me, and I won it as obviously the player. Um, so I think it was a really, really cool experience for both of us to be able to to to, to have the chance to, to win this award. Um, and, and these awards, it's... Like I said, it's an incredible feeling. But, you know, for me, you know, he, you know, dedicated himself into improving me as a basketball player and a person and, and you know, sacrificed a lot of his work and whatever to kind of put it, put his time in uh, to me and, and going to my games every year and all of that stuff. And, you know, for, for him, when we go through the season, you know, he's going through the same, you know, mental <laughs> kind of issues that I am, you know, in terms of the, you know, performance anxiety or whatever the case may be. And so he... You know, when I started meditation, I did it with his business partner, but my dad is always, uh, always in on those meditations. So we both do them together. And, and I think we, you know, both have to get locked into the game kind of the same way uh, for him to go and watch and for me, obviously, to play. So it's, it's really, really unique to be able to, um, you know, win this award and, and, and for my family, my mother and everybody to be so proud. It's really cool.
Well, listen, when Mr. Garza puts out his first NFT, you make sure you let me know, okay? I'll be the first one bidding on it, but Luca Garza... Let the Peacock Fly card. <laughs> What's that? I said the Let the Peacock Fly card. It might be coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Luca Garza, National Player of the Year, Wooden Award. Dude, best of luck in the future, man. Hope we can reconnect sometime down the road, but you were gracious last year with your time. You were incredibly gracious today. I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. And, and like I said, I hope we're able to connect along the way. Thank you so much. I look forward to doing that again, of course.